Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Blister Podcast on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. This past week, we had one of the most accomplished athletes of all time as our guest for our last Blister Speaker Series of the Year at Western Colorado University in Gunnison, Colorado. But in addition to ultra runner Courtney DeWalter's mind-blowing exploits and her legendary physical toughness on the trail, I think it is Courtney's curiosity and enthusiasm that make her truly unique and a joy to be around. So it was quite an opportunity to get to pick Courtney's brain and get her thoughts on life and the limits that each of us tend to place on ourselves, hear her describe her approach to training and competition, learn how she thinks about goal setting, and more. And ultimately, while millions of us have watched Courtney's staggering achievements as she crosses finish line after finish line, setting new course records, and accomplishing the seemingly impossible along the way, this conversation that you're about to hear makes it clear, I think, that Courtney's achievements are very much achievements of the mind, and there are takeaways in this conversation that I think each of us would do well to absorb and implement into our own lives. And one of the things that Courtney is a huge advocate for is just getting outside in any form. And if you'd like to come get outside with us, well then this is a reminder that our Blister Summit event is happening in Mount Crested Butte from February 4th through the 8th. This is our favorite week of the winter, and you can come demo a bunch of brand new ski and snowboard gear. You can go ski and or hang out with our Blister reviewers and pros like Cody Townsend and Hoji and Elise Sogstad and many, many more. And you can also participate in panel sessions with pro athletes, product designers, and the people who are shaping the snow sports industry today. Also, You can get out into the Crested Butte backcountry with tours guided by professional backcountry guides, and those tours are free to Blister Summit attendees thanks to the generous support of Bag Balm. So we'll include a link to the Blister Summit in the show notes of this episode where you can then find all of the details of the event, and you can sign up, and you can come see us and get outside with us. And now, let's do it. Let's talk to Courtney DeWalter. Here we go. Well, hello, Western. Welcome back to another Blister Speaker Series. This is our last one of the year. I literally can't think of a better last Speaker Series event of the year. With that said, we are going to now introduce and welcome someone who needs no introduction. Courtney DeWalter, come join me. I didn't know this was the last one of the year. It's no pressure, but yeah, it's, but, but pressure. Yeah. If only you had any experience dealing with kind of high pressure, high consequential moments, this, this might go better, but I, I believe in you. Thank you. Yeah. First of all, I always like to ask, you've spent some time in the Gunnison Valley, Gunnison and Crested Butte. 
when were you here last? Uh, what's your experience with the Valley? I have spent some time here, not nearly enough. I was hearing all about the trail systems around the area just a little bit ago, and I definitely need to come back and check those out. Um, but I've cross-country skied in the area and gotten coffee and food in the area, but that's about it. Fair enough. And we'll take you up on that offer to, you know, come back and see us. Yeah. Please run with me when I come back. I think we need to get into this right now because I just learned something in the last 30 minutes. You're doing a bit of mountain biking now? <laughs> yeah, I'm, yes, I am on a mountain bike uh, riding it, but I don't know if it classifies as mountain biking yet. It's pretty poor still. If, if you are on a bike and there's some tready things on the tire and you like pedal it, I think that's mountain biking, right? I just started learning uh, last year and love it. It's such a cool way to be on the trails, be outside, see the same stuff that I see when I'm running, but it looks much different for some reason on a bike. Um, but probably right now I'm still running the things faster than I bike them. <laughs> also entirely fair, yeah. I, I do actually like the fact that we have with us unequivocally one of the greatest runners of all time. And we've already in the first three minutes talked about Nordic skiing, running and mountain biking. And maybe we'll have to kind of explore a little bit of that at some point tonight. But well, actually now seems like a good time. Do you want to talk about that? This, um, interest, willingness to kind of keep exploring when I could see other people in your position maybe finding reasons to not do that or just not having the interest in that? Yeah, there's probably a lot of reasons uh, for me that I like to do all of the sports. Um, one, we're in Colorado and it's absolutely beautiful here. The biggest playground around. So Getting outside in any form is my favorite way to spend a day. Um, it brings me a lot of joy to be outside. So if I can add in something besides running that lets me get that joy without wrecking myself by pounding out more miles, that's perfect. And I don't mind being really bad at things. Like, I think it's pretty fun to try a new sport, try a new activity and be terrible at it and then figure it out. It's all part of the like puzzle that I love of ultra running. It's the same puzzle for me for mountain biking right now. Like how do I stay upright and go down this hill that's full of treacherous rocks? I don't know yet, but I want to keep trying. That's pretty good. Okay. You just had a really interesting 10-week stretch of your life earlier this year. Western States, Hard Rock, UTMB. I don't know if any of you heard about this. It's astonishing. But what I want to ask you kind of first is, how are you feeling now? And I know in a number of the conversations you had sort of right after these events, you understandably say like, I don't really know, like I haven't had time to process this. I think that excuse is up now. So you've had some time to process this and I would love to just hear you talk about what life has looked like since mid-September and maybe share a little of what that processing has looked like. 
<clears throat> processing uh, is probably my worst um, characteristic. I am not very good at thinking about things that happened. I want to be always thinking of what's coming up next. Um, but how I'm doing after the summer is better now, immediately after UTMB, which was in the very beginning of September. I basically melted into my couch for two full weeks, didn't move very much, ate a lot, and was physically and mentally and emotionally wiped. I had nothing left and um, tried to cobble myself back together after those two weeks of laying on the couch. And it took a lot of time for the mental side to come back. I was just feeling really exhausted. My legs you know, started to want to run earlier than the rest of me wanted to get back out there. Um, so I just let it take as much time as it needed. It was a lot to ask of all of my systems for those 10 weeks and the building to those 10 weeks. And so I was in no rush at all. So it's been a pretty chill fall, been adventuring and doing things because I love it, but with no real, um, like, driving force of like, I have to be ready for this specific race or for this adventure or whatever. It's like, whatever sounds good on the day is good. So I wanted to ask you a couple of things that, that at least I've heard you say about the decision process going into this summer, that there started with some interest and intrigue about not the triple, but the double right? Western and hard rock. But I've heard you then say that your approach was you were interested in the combo, the two, but you were going to attack Western on its own right as if that was its own race. No thought of pacing, keeping that, let's stay fresh for hard rock. So explain that because frankly, on the face of it, it seems like that might not be the best strategy to empty the tank. Like, so apparently it was the right strategy. There's a spoiler alert here, but can you just talk to us a little bit about that? Because it, it frankly seems risky to, you know, to empty the tank while also having an ambition to maybe see about this combo. My big goal going into the summer was the Western States Hard Rock Double, seeing if I could finish both of these 100-mile races <clears throat> that are pretty different in their style of 100 miles um, and only three weeks apart. And I was so intrigued by this, mostly because that three weeks in between sounded insane. Like, how do you go from 100 to the next with only three weeks in the middle of it? But that was the puzzle piece that I wanted to play with this year. I've run both of those races individually, you know, on their own summers. So I know what those courses take, but I had never tried to put them together. And that was the element that drew me to this double. Um, but I, in general, I think I, um, I want to be in the moment and leave everything I have in whatever I'm trying to do. And so, to me, it was never an option of think of this as a 200 mile race. I wanted to think of it as a hundred miles at Western States and then figure out this three weeks, how do I get myself back together to get on that start line at Hard Rock again? 
because pouring everything out there on the first course is the only way I would have felt good about doing the double because uh, that's like, I guess how I operate in general. Like I wanna, I wanna live right here right now and do my very best right now. It's fascinating. You've got some choice words for that. No, I, I think it's fascinating because, I mean, I feel like the rest of us are out there just trying to be strategic and we come up with ambitious goals. In your case, this double. And we would just think, of course, I want to, you know, pace myself a bit. And so it's just different, I think this notion of empty the tank can i come back in three weeks empty it again and it seems like help me understand this you would have been okay if it turned out that the motor broke down or the mind broke down during hard rock because why because why why would you have been okay with that um i knew that i would finish Hard Rock, whatever I had to do. I was going to crawl my way to that finish line because you can't double unless you double. And so I, I wanted to get to the Hard Rock starting line and then just problem solve my way through those 100 miles. Um, but pouring it all out on the Western States course and being entirely empty after that 100 made the whole double feel more purposeful because I could learn so much more if I'm trying to put myself back together from zero in this three week span than, you know, coming up with some imaginary amount I could of effort I could put into Western states. And then, you know, you don't you don't know. So why not just do the definitive thing, which is empty it and then see what you can do to empty it a second time. It feels too like a gray area if you are holding back the reins at the first race. To me, that would feel too like obscure. Where, how far back do you pull the reins? So just let them rip, let it go. And then we've got a, a concrete thing to work with. I got to ask one more question along these lines and please forgive me because this is going to sound really lame, but I don't have a better way to kind of ask the question. Back in my student days, if I had a paper, whatever the length didn't matter. If I wasn't into it, I couldn't write it or I struggled really hard. If I was into it and it was a 20 page paper, I may have turned in a 60 page paper. What I'm wondering about here is could you have run Western and rather than breaking the course record by an hour 17, could you have paced yourself on, you know what I mean? Like, can you run that way? Can you operate with a reserve or do you not quite work that way? Um, I can pace. Okay. <laughs> that was the question. Next question. No, just... I'm sweating up here. <laughs> no. um, I, if I'm in a race, I will not feel satisfied unless I know that I gave everything I had that day. Whether it goes well or not, if I know that was the absolute best I could do 
and every single moment, every single problem, every single thing that happened during that day or days of running, if I know I, I left it all out there and I was my best version of myself in each of those moments, then I'll be satisfied. So for Western States, if I had um, used the brake pedal more often, I think I would have felt a little uh, like itch that it wasn't everything I had on that day and I didn't leave my very best self out there. And then I would feel unsatisfied with it. That, yeah, that wasn't your interest in the double. The interest in the double was all in on one, all in on two, let's see what happens. Yeah, yeah, and I think the mental side of ultra running is huge. And so to go into Western states only thinking of that day ahead of me and this one race, not zoomed out to the whole picture, was huge. And then at Hard Rock, only thinking of Hard Rock, not reflecting back to like, well, three weeks ago you ran this other race, so you should be tired and, you know, take it easy on yourself right now. If you stay in that moment, then um, you're able to, I think, do more physically if you're mentally like not queuing up excuses the whole time or, you know, you set yourself up with positive thinking instead of like thinking about all the reasons you should be tired or you should slow down. Finishing Hard Rock, did you cross the finish line and think that was way harder than I thought? I think in the last like four miles, my husband was pacing me and I said, we're not talking about any other running things for <laughs> the next few weeks after this because this day destroyed me. It was right from the beginning of that race. I could tell like all systems were off. Everything was just a little bit uh, like they weren't working all together. I didn't feel like any easy miles come that day. Um, so it was from the beginning, it was much harder than I anticipated. And through the entire race, it just kept getting harder. And can you tell us a little bit on this? We talk in terms of a duality and I think it kind of works, but that physical portion of it versus the mental portion of it for that hundred miles at hard rock, which was harder through that race when you say no easy miles? Um, physically I was wrecked and exhausted and had no power left in any of my muscles. Um, and so it became just this really big mental game with myself of staying positive, staying in the moment, not, uh, like getting stressed out about how far away the finish line still was or how big the climbs were in front of me. It was, uh, just trying to feed myself like positive thinking mantras the whole time in hopes that my body would follow suit afterwards. And uh, that's hard. Like that's taxing on a brain to have to stay in it and stay thinking so long, but it's absolutely possible. And um, days can turn around. You, I think just have to keep giving yourself a chance let the time happen because that at least allows for the possibility of things to change. I've also heard you talk about an interest in, you famously talk about the pain cave or we can talk about, you know, redlining or something. And this 
interesting, I mean, that's the nice word, interesting curiosity about experimenting with getting into that pain cave or, or redlining earlier and earlier, or we should say further and further away from the finish line. And the way I hear have heard you talk about that, it really, the underlying tenor really does seem to be like curiosity around it. And can you just talk a bit about that fact? I, I said to you uh, before we came out here, I feel like you're this, you are a scientist. You're like a, a practical scientist. You're the neurologist who's not just working in a lab. You're like kind of conducting experiments on the trail. I'm, I'm my own hamster. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Does this, do you, well, how do you, do you agree or disagree with this, with this take? Yeah, I'll be a hamster. No problem. Uh, <laughs> Ultra hamster. A hundred percent. I'm curiosity driven in this sport and I'm, <clears throat> I don't think we know what's possible and I want to help push us towards figuring that out. It's been my driver since the very beginning. I did my first road marathon thinking, I'll surely die during these 26.2 miles. My legs will shatter. Like, goodbye, mom and dad. It was nice knowing you. And when I didn't die, I it pushed over the domino for me of like, that beforehand sounded impossible. And then I just did it. So what's another thing that sounds impossible that I should try? Because clearly my bar is set too low for what I'm expecting of myself. And I think all of our bars are probably too low in a lot of ways, but just figuring that out has driven me into finding out ultra running was a sport, wanting to chase after these really long races, do the things that sound crazy and sound impossible because maybe I'll find out along the way that it's not impossible and that will help me learn more to take to the next thing. Yeah, I think there is a lesson there or a scolding. For no, the rest not of us. a scolding. Listen, listen to the hamster. Yeah, no, I think it is. It's okay. We need it sometimes. Tough love. Tough, tough love from the ultra hamster. I think that's the, that'll be the title of this, this, uh, this conversation. No, I think that's great. And I think that for probably virtually any walk of life, if you go to the people that are really uh, have been at the forefront of a given endeavor or a given activity, that that sense of curiosity you talk constantly about the adventure the unknown you've also said tonight you're not afraid to fail that is a powerful combination oh and then there's also like this i guess we're not allowed to call it you know inhuman or otherworldly sense of drive because you're saying actually maybe we can all tap into that a bit more but couple that with um a real discipline mental discipline we can start doing some pretty pretty impressive yeah. things yeah go for it we didn't even get to the third one yet and i'm i'm trying to like you know I, there's other things i want to talk about than just this incredible summer slash fall you've had but i do want to talk about utmb so no hard or no easy miles at hard rock you do finish we're not allowed to talk to you about it, any running anything for a while. When, when, how long did that last? 
about two weeks, okay. maybe a week and a half. We didn't talk about running. My husband and I didn't think about the rest of the summer or what we might go after. Um, but then I, uh, after about two weeks, felt good enough to go out for a little shakeout jog and see where my systems were at. And I uh, didn't feel as terrible as I expected. And my bar, my bar there was really low. I expected to feel really, really bad. And it felt bad, but not terrible. And so I got home from that little jog. It was like 45 minutes on my local trails. I live in Leadville. Um, and I immediately, I bust into the door and I'm like, Kevin, we, we gotta go for it. We have to just see about UTMB because it sounded, just the right amount of crazy to try. So help me on the timeline. So that is Hard Rock wraps July 14th. This was right uh, the end of July. I think maybe, yeah. yeah. Okay. And so right at the end of July, you're like, let's maybe go for this. UTMB kicks off August 31st. Yeah, I had about one month from that decision. What did that month look like? Still definitely some recovery. And then kind of this jumble of like doing runs and not sure if I was in the recovery mode, the training mode, or the taper mode. It was like, I don't know which thing it is. So I'm going to like... throw the normal structure of training out the window and not care. Like I just needed to focus on how was my body feeling and how was my brain feeling and getting to that start line as prepared as possible. Definitely tried to get out in the mountains a little bit because UTMB is a big mountain race. Um, but tried not to get caught in the weeds of like fretting about what I was doing or not doing. It was like the train's in motion, so let's just hop aboard it, see what happens, and get to that start line healthy, and mostly get to that start line excited to try. What was the percentage of the tank that was excited to try versus the, like, what are we doing here? I was 100% excited to try. By the time I got to that start line, I felt mentally ready to go as deep in the pain cave as I needed to go in order to just make it back to the finish line was my big goal of the race. Like finish this race because you can't triple unless you triple. Like it can't be a triple unless you finish them all. And so all I wanted was to finish, but I wanted to leave it all out there. I wanted to be in the moment, not have excuses lingering and just focus on doing this race as best I could. So in one month, you do get to the start line 100% excited to do this. Is that the result of discipline and practice and kind of mental exercise? Or is that, do you attribute that to more, I don't know, I like to run and, and you know what I mean? Was this more of a natural state that happened or something that you were able to sort of make happen? I think probably a combination for sure. I generally tried to, I don't do anything fancy for my mental side. It's like to get farther into the pain cave, I sign up for crazy races and spend time in the pain cave and to reset it and recharge it. I try to like 
not think about running very much or, you know, not do like mentally strenuous things in those days leading up to it, like let my brain rest a little bit. Um, but it definitely was also like, I chose this, I love this, and um, like it's a natural excitement that was building because I was chasing after this crazy thing that I had decided no one was making me do it. No one said add on this third one because, you know, it's part of the deal. It was like uh, self-driven and purely out of curiosity. And I didn't care at all how long it was going to take me to get back to the finish line at UTMB. Before this conversation, I would have said, I don't actually think I believe you when you say that. And already I totally believe you like that. You weren't going in. It wasn't about a certain time. Can I cross the finish line? The, this third one on this third one, having one, one and two. Yeah, I actually believe you. So good, good job. This was an astonishing year. We, we went through it. You've been doing astonishing things for quite a while now. Do you think maybe two years ago, four years ago, you could have pulled off this triple? Yes or no? Were there things you've learned, things you've gotten better at that allowed you to pull it off this year where you think, I don't know that I could have done it in years past because of reasons A, B, or C? Who knows exactly what would have happened two or four years ago. I think I could have finished all three of them, two or four or, you know, maybe even five or six years ago. I think I could have finished them. But for sure, I did not have the capacity to push as hard then or just the um, stack of like base miles that have accumulated over those years and like my body learning how it trains best and you know figuring out uh more about the mental side of it and like my pain cave is the same pain cave every single time I visit it so two or four years ago it was substantially smaller than it is now there are some very large newer caverns in there that helped in this past summer um, to do what we did on those three races. Okay, so where did we land? Did we just land with maybe not because the pain cave wasn't as chiseled out and developed? There's more rooms to enter, places to go, or you, you do think it could have been done despite the fact that you're saying you have increased your sort of mental capacities, your capacities to deal with challenges, suffering, physical pain, but you still think you could have done this? I think I could have finished the 300 mile races two or four years ago. What that would have looked like, I don't know, but my mental side has grown a lot and the physical side of just accumulating more miles, more training, um, better understanding of the training that works for me. All of that has grown quite a bit every single year. I feel like you've been kind of famous for dodging questions about training. Am I dodging this? No, 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 oh. not at all. You've been amazing. We're going to keep you here all night. But, you know, you have this wonderful 
presence or be like, I don't know, I like to run and eat candy, you know? And yet- Which is true. It is true. (laughs) But I hear you talking in these really smart and sophisticated ways about growing the mental capacities. I, I hear you saying a lot more about that than, I mean, than the actual physical training, other than you've just said you are getting maybe better and better at learning what your body needs in a given time, push harder, rest more, those kinds of things. Do you, um, to help us understand how you continue to do this, is it that you are continuing to experiment with new training techniques or is it more about just being tuned into push harder now or, or, you know, pull the foot off the, the gas pedal when it comes to training? Um, I think a, a lot of all of that. I think running is something where if we're consistent with it and patient with it, it's like piling up grains of sand where every single day that thing you did doesn't make much of a difference. Like it's one little grain of sand, but then you look back after a year of piling up those grains or two years or four years of piling them up and you've got a really big pile of sand going for you. And so I think like the pile of sand has grown a lot. So it's just like the capacity for my body to do those miles and to train has grown. And um, that has helped me then hone in on like, what kind of training do I like to do? What kind of workouts should I throw in there? What works for me? What do I not like? All of those pieces, because I do uh, just sort of see how I feel every day to determine my training. Um, but as far as like figuring out new stuff to try, I'll like see stuff on the internet of, you know, workouts people are doing or, um, what they're trying in their training. And if it sounds interesting, sure, I'll throw it in there and see if I like it. Why not? I think, um, the way we can all be connected now with the internet and social media and all of that makes it where we can really, uh, compile a lot of information and um, learn from each other in a really cool way. Can you share anything in particular that you maybe were scrolling and were like, huh, that's intriguing. And you did actually start to implement that into your training regimen, something in this last year? Um, maybe, I, ooh, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know if I have a specific answer. Mountain biking. Maybe it's mountain biking. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's mountain biking. Yeah. But no, there wasn't something like in a, you know, we're still in 2023. Yeah. Um, Last January or February, you're like, oh, that's something. um, Maybe let's try that. And you did start to integrate a, you know, something that just hadn't been part of your your routine. Uh, Not that I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah. So the pain cave. There, I think it's safe to say, a clearly unique ability to enter that, to keep going, to maybe, maybe disregard warning signs, the body saying this is scary or too hard. What happens though, or how do you think about like not ignoring those signs, right? When is it, or how do you think through this and the it's okay to disregard this we are 
mentally stronger than our maybe our bodies sometimes make us think. But when for you do you say, no, it's actually time to pull off the throttle? Yeah, so the flags can look really similar when it's um, an injury flag or you're hurting yourself flag for, versus uh, your body is throwing up a flag because it would be much easier to just ease off right now or stop whatever you're doing. Like the body is trying to help itself do something easier in that moment. And those flags can look really, really similar. Uh, and I wasn't sure quite a few years ago if I would know the difference between those flags because I've been trying to um, you know, be really intuitive and like read the signals my body and brain give me every day, but it's not an exact science. There's no manual on how to do it. Or if you're doing it right, there's no like green lights that go on that that was an accurate read of what it was saying. So I've just been trying over the years with trial and error to like gauge what those things are saying to me and then re respond to them. So I wasn't sure if I would know the difference between the injury flag and the, no, you're just trying to take the easier route flag of going up. And um, I did experience an injury during a race where it was very clear to me that like, this is not something you push through. This is not the pain cave when the chisel should come out. This is actually your body saying, that's an injury. You need to stop what you're doing and start to figure out how to heal it. But I do think it's just a matter of learning yourself and getting to know yourself by uh, trying, doing hard efforts, doing um, all of the things and seeing what sort of signals you get and um, then practicing reading them. Have you had those instances where in hindsight you're like, oh my God, I definitely should have shut it down sooner? No. I didn't think you were going to say that. Yeah. So we're, we're dealing in full, full hypotheticals right now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, no, I did have injury fl flags though, where it was like, you should stop because you, you stopped appropriately. I stopped appropriately. I do recommend that. Um, <laughs> but if you're finding that it's the pain cave flag, the side where it just wants to stop because that would be easier. And I say like, keep on cranking and see what you find back there because um, it can be pretty cool. And uh, that's where we can level up. I think if we make our caves bigger then our capacity for the next time is ready for that amount or more. So your, your next step is always like growing if you can keep pushing into that. Related question. You are clearly talking a lot about, you know, learning through experience, right? You get out there on the trail, you're going to learn some things about yourself and, and move, you know, maybe some of these um, goalposts in terms of what's possible and what isn't. How much time are you spending reading books, watching films, whatever, on the more, um, I don't know, what do we call that? Not passive, but the, the scientific, the scientific studies coming out or or, you know, spending time on techniques, uh, meditation techniques or techniques with dealing with pain versus just getting out there and finding it out for yourself. What's the ratio? 
I, I think I learn better by doing and uh, doing myself. So I don't spend a lot of time uh, in you know what other people have tried or done. I should. It could be interesting to learn that way, but I uh, have not so far. Yeah, interesting. I am going to send you that book we were talking about. I would love yeah. that. And we'll see. And then if her career goes way worse or way better, <laughs> you were here. And we can be like, maybe it was that one book, Jonathan Center. But uh, we'll, we'll to, be, to be determined. <laughs> I, I also want to ask you about how much time you spend looking outside of the running world um, at maybe other athletes in different sports where you think like, that's amazing what they're doing. Are you, are you ever spending time looking to other arenas, either for inspiration or just out of curiosity, looking kind of for those ideas? Um, I follow a lot of other sports and in general, just love watching athletes do their thing, whatever they're passionate about. I think it's so inspiring, so cool. Um, as far as like digging into, I'm, I don't have Strava or anything, so I'm never looking at that kind of data about anybody. Um, but I think in general, you can get the vibe off of like what people are doing for training off social media, even so whether they're in ultra running or a different sport, you know, maybe I would take something from what they're trying to see if it works for me. Whether that's like, I do a basic like 40 minute routine in the gym. So maybe it's something I see them doing in their workout as like a activator or a core or whatever exercise or a type of interval they might be trying or just like getting psyched at watching you know, a cross-country skier like Jesse Diggins cross a finish line entirely empty. And then it's like its own sort of inspiration of, you know, we can all empty our tanks. Like she just did it there. Next race, maybe that's something I'll think of. Zooming out a bit. What do you think of the current state of trail running slash ultra running? We're seeing developments in the sport. It's changing thoughts on it? I feel so lucky and so psyched to be part of the sport right now. I think um, it's growing. More people are getting out on the trails, more women, younger people. Like It's so cool to see how the sport is growing and the ways people are finding their like, psych on trying something hard, trying something new. I want to ask you about those times when you say you're not thinking about running. And, you know, you're not mountain biking. Books, movies, music, crochet. What are you doing with your time when you're not thinking about running or, or doing it or out on the, tr the trail in some, some capacity? Uh, I think just normal things. <laughs> you got to be more specific. Otherwise, that means you're definitely not normal. You're like sleeping, standing up in a closet. Like a, yeah, so we don't believe you unless Wait, you come up. that's not normal? Uh, yeah, no, no, no. Uh, yeah, reading shows, puzzles, movies, anything outside. Um, 
yeah, I, I think really normal things. Uh-huh. <laughs> Name one show. This is a test. <laughs> Name one show that you've really enjoyed in the last year. Uh, Ted Lasso. Okay. There it checks out. Checks out. <laughs> checks out. Yep. Um, that made me feel more stressed than it should have. I was like blanking on shows. <laughs> Back to where we, what we were talking about early on, the Nordic skiing. You have a background there. Um, you're talking about just getting into mountain biking. Philosophy of cross-training, or does that just more fall under the arena of, I don't know, it seems fun and different and new? Like, how do you think about that? And perhaps maybe in an age where it does feel like there are pressures to be narrowing focuses really earlier and earlier in life, right? Let alone maybe at the professional level. How, how do you see that landscape and what thoughts do you have on that? I used to, um, when I first started ultra running, I just went all in on only running all the time because I felt like I didn't have enough time to do as much running as I wanted anyways. And so I should not do any other sports because that would take time where I could be running. But what I found in the past probably like four years is that my body actually really appreciates switching it up, switching up the motion, maybe the amount of impact. And you're still getting the benefit of being outside you know, getting all of your systems going, whether it like directly translates or not, I don't care about anymore. So I will throw in um, like road biking in the summer or mountain biking, cross country skiing in the winter. Um, but it also just adds a lot of joy for me. So it's like my body likes it and it helps uh, reduce some of that impact on my legs, but also it just makes me really happy to do something different and switch up the day a little. Your turn. Any questions? Hi, Courtney. <laughs> Thanks for coming out to Gunnison. Hope you get a chance to run around the Elk Mountains. They're pretty awesome. Um, two years ago, you ran uh, Zagama. And that was pretty cool, a little bit different from what you're uh, working on, like you know, testing the boundaries, going really long and stuff. I wanted to ask you about what your relationship with that race was like, and if you'd ever do anything shorter, sub-ultra, again. Yeah, absolutely. Zagama is a mountain marathon race. Um, and the people who run Zagama are very, 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 very fast. I've never felt more stressed on a start line because it felt like, oh shoot, I have to be like actually like ready to run immediately when this race starts versus a hundred mile race where it's like, okay, we have all day. Like I'll take my time getting warmed up. Um, I loved it though. I signed up for it for the experience to try and learn a little bit from people who raced differently than me, raced faster than me, were way more talented on technical trails than me. Like I wanted to just soak all of that up. It's also known for its insane fans along the course and I wanted to do it to experience that. But I 100% was ready to come in like hours after the race closed, if I had to, I was like, I don't know how this is going to go. I might be so terrible at this, um, but I want to try it for all of those reasons. 
I would absolutely do something like that again or Zagama again. I think uh, being out of our comfort zone, uh, is it just feels really cool, really fun, really new, and I love that about it. So Courtney, I know you have a background in Nordic skiing and as a Nordic skier and trail runner myself, I'm just curious, what do you attribute <laughs> to the success of Nordic skiers crossing over into trail running, like Sophia Lockley, yourself, Liz Steven, other trail runners? I uh, don't have any data to support anything I say now, but <laughs> um, I think cross-country skiing builds quite a good engine and a full-body workout, full-body strength. And so I think you could translate that to a lot of different areas. I think in cross-country skiing, you also learn to push really, really hard. And um, like just learning that mental side of racing can translate to running in any form, but ultra running for sure. And that's mostly what's helped me. I had a coach who taught me that when it felt like we were at our limit, we always had one more gear. We could always turn the dial and crank a little bit harder. And that coach teaching me with that with cross-country skiing made it so I understood that when it felt like the limit, it wasn't the limit and we could do more. We just had to believe in ourselves and then go for it. Hi, Courtney. Um, my question for you was just not competition-wise, but just based on courses. Which is harder, UTMB or Hard Rock? Because they're very like similar profile profiles. Oh, impossible! I try not to rank things in any form: favorite race, worst race, um, hardest race. I think that the altitude of Hard Rock is it adds in a new element that makes your body systems not always act how they normally do. Um, I was curious, you live in Leadville. We all know it's very snowy there too. Um, what does your winter training look like? Are you just running a lot of like Loud County roads or do you incorporate some other winter sports into your training? A lot of Plowed County roads and uh, I love it. I love the winters there. I love that you can just settle into full winter mode. So I um, don't get uh, too stressed out about the fact that I'm not on trails. I'm like, it's winter. We run roads here in the winter. But I also do cross-country skiing um, to switch it up and get on some more trail-feeling things in the winter. So you were talking about this summer, how you were not focusing on time or place, just finishing them. Are there any races in Zagama you said didn't care if you finished after dark? Do you ever focus on time or place when racing? I do not focus on time or place. I think um, you can only control what you can control. So focusing on place is like adding in all of these humans in the race that you have no control over. And then time, I don't want to get attached to a time. I want to... Um, make sure I'm doing the very best I can in every moment of that race. And whatever time that leads me to is perfect, as long as I know that it was everything I had. I think getting attached to a time can go a lot of different ways. It can be like something goes wrong, 
early on, and then that time feels out the window, and then you start stressing and getting negative, and that can spiral in a lot of ways. Um, or if you're ahead of the time, then you start to doubt yourself or worry that you know you're running too fast in that moment, and you're gonna blow up later. I don't think any of that's helpful. So I would rather just take the day as it comes and see what the time is. Yeah, from a kind of a holistic life point, um, I know you mentioned running your first marathon with the anticipation that you're gonna die and then kind of changing your perception of your own limits. Uh, and that's something I've found in a lot of different areas can uh, spill over from a sport to something else in life or vice versa. So I'm curious, was there anything outside of any endurance sports for you that maybe made you recognize you had a false limit placed and then carried that into running? Or did running do any of that for other aspects of your life? And is there a point at which You've, you've shattered so many perceived limits that you no longer have those anymore? Or do you just constantly move um, your idea of what a limit is further and further ahead? I am constantly wondering what else is possible um, and then trying to see if I can attempt things to surpass whatever that feels like it might be. Um, but I think I'm more concretely was able to learn it in running and then try and apply it to all of the areas of my life um, versus the other way around. It's, it just felt like easier to see a more tangible thing in the running world to show that it actually can apply to all things. Hey, Courtney. Um, just a quick question. I, don't, I think I've heard before that you are self-coached. And I just was, like I think Jonathan was alluding to earlier, haven't seen, I'm a huge fan of the sport, been around the sport for a while, haven't really heard details of training, phases, segments. First, do you ever consider having a coach? Do you think it's a wise thing to do? And then second of all, how do you plan for these technical training phases or segments uh, yourself? How, tech, how techy or nerdy do you get in, in, the, in the research? Are you looking at your training diaries, what you've done in the past, integrating new stuff, or you're just sticking with stuff that has been working before and just sort of adding more mileage to it at the same time more intensity too, or how is that sort of conversation go with you in the mornings with your coffee? I do not have a coach, um, but I've, I had amazing coaches all through high school and college. Um, and I think coaches can be really fantastic. I, when I got into ultra running, just loved playing around with the training on my own and for sure was thinking, of those coaches and experiences and seasons I had when I was racing in high school or college to, you know, start to figure out my ultra running training and then fell in love with the puzzle of that and, and, uh, the trial and error and just like 
I'm going to go with no coach because I want to just see if I can do it myself and if I can figure it out. But I absolutely think that um, a coach can be super helpful for people. And I think, you know, depending on how you tick or what kind of time you have available to invest into figuring it out, like a coach can be the perfect solution. For me, I do not get in the weeds about any techie stuff. Um, I don't have training diaries. It's all just right here, <laughs> which um, should make me nervous. But <laughs> it's definitely like every year learning more about what my body can handle and what types of trainings I might throw in there. And I'll always have... Uh, general idea of the races coming up and what I need to train for those specific races. So if I'm signed up for Hard Rock 100, I know it's a huge mountain race, it's high altitude. So those are the things I'm thinking of, but nothing's like scripted out or written down. Um, then I'll just sort of play around with adding in more of that as I'm getting ready for that specific race. Hi. Hi. I uh, wanted to ask you about dealing with uh, failures and setbacks, whether it's like a DNF, not placing how you wanted to, or like an injury, kind of like the mental aspect of getting back to yourself and trying to improve yourself. It can be really tough uh, when something doesn't go how you wanted because we invest so much time into preparing for that thing. And then when that thing doesn't happen how we imagined, um, it can feel like a really big letdown. So what I do is I um, allow myself to feel all of those feelings for a couple days. But then after those few days, I um, just start looking forward. Instead of dwelling on this past thing and letting it drag me back and down and, you know, feel horrible and negative about it, I try to then okay, what are we going to do about it? What happened? What are the, what was the situation? And now what can we take from that to springboard us forward to the next thing instead? Um, but I do think it's important to feel the bummed feelings immediately and um, deeply um, because you cared about what you were doing. But then I don't think it's productive to stay in that mode. Like you have to then just like, it's in the past, it was running, it was a race, that's fine. But now what are we gonna do about it? Hi, what has been your favorite race you've ever run? That's impossible, I could never. What has been like the best experience maybe? Like one of the races you've thought like has been the most fun. Has there been a race that has been fun for you? <laughs> All of them are so fun. I think uh, one that's like I feel pretty fondly about in my head is my first 200 that I did. It was the Moab 240, and I think it just felt really crazy and cool to travel that far with my feet for the first time. And that course is a big loop. So you're over in this like mountain range over here and you look across and you can see the outline of the other mountain range you're going to run to eventually. And that was blowing my mind that whole time of like my tiny feet and this, you know, th one meter stride is going to get me around 240 miles 
I couldn't understand it. And so that one felt like uh, um, one that for sure sits like fondly in my mind because it made me realize, you know, there's even more than 100 miles we can try. There's more crazy out there. <laughs> I'm just curious, like what, what is it you still want to accomplish? Like you've done it all and can do it all, but like what's still on your list of what you want to do? I just want to keep trying things. I want to keep um, taking like this past summer's experiences, for example, and seeing how I can learn from them and apply them to the next thing. For sure, I'm still really interested in the long stuff. So um, 100 miles, 200 miles, the Colorado Trail is 500 miles. Like all of that is really interesting to me still. Um, this is a super big group of people who have probably been running for years and years. And we're talking a lot today about people who are running 200, 100 miles. But what advice would you have for um, new runners, like getting to your first marathon or half marathon? Um, to go for it, first of all, why not? And then uh, second of all, to just be patient and consistent with getting into it. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, you don't go for one run that's one mile long and then the next day get to immediately jump up to 10 or something. You have to just put in those tiny bits of work daily in order to eventually get to those bigger things. So patience and consistency are huge in uh, getting into it. And then um, I think being nice to yourself as you're learning it. So uh, not getting frustrated if it feels hard or takes longer than expected. It It is hard and it does take a little bit to get the ball rolling. But um, once you get going with it, it's the best. Running is the best. So go for it. Um, now that you're into mountain biking and That's a costume. generous way to phrase it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now that you've like dabbled in mountain biking, <laughs> um, would you consider doing like a triathlon or like a long distance bike packing or bike race or like, cause I know that for some people the magic is in my own two feet, right? Um, I think like traveling long distance by kayak is cool. So like, would you consider stuff like that? Or are you like, nah dog, like running Zid? <laughs> no, I would absolutely. No, I would absolutely consider stuff like that. I would definitely drown on any swimming parts. So maybe not triathlon, but I think the bike world is, um, yeah, it's very intriguing. And like the gravel races, I follow along with all of those. I think those look really cool. Just testing ourselves and being outside and seeing what's possible is uh, for sure what drives me, so. Well, if you're seeing what's possible, you should maybe like try swimming, right? Like, <laughs> and I, I, to, like, I did my first triathlon this summer and I thought I was literally gonna drown and then I crushed it. So. Oh, that's She's so cool. Point. Okay, She's got a point. then maybe, yeah, I take it back. Maybe I'll try swimming. <laughs> 2024, here we go. Courtney the swimmer. Hi there, thanks so much for coming to the Gunnison Valley. Um, Two-prong question. 
Could you tell him, tell us the importance of having your support crew with you, and also the adventures that you've had on the trail with your mom? Ultra running to me is for sure a team sport, and so assembling a crew um, to help with you know aid stations or come out pacing miles or whatever it is is a huge part of making those memories and making it special, but also getting to a finish line successfully. So it's important who we surround ourselves with and, um, you know, keeping those people like those are the moments. That's what it's all about, I think. So that's huge for me. And I'm very lucky that my husband is uh, he loves it. And we've got some friends who always are ready to jump in and my parents. And then my parent, my mom got the ultra bug uh, last year when we tried a 50 mile race together. We ended up getting cut off for time. It was her first trail race ever. Um, she learned a ton in that first attempt, mostly how if you wanna run trails, you need to train on trails. Like it just runs a little bit differently than roads. And so learning how to navigate rocky stuff or pick up your feet a little more or carry a pack even like all of that was brand new for her. So after that first attempt where we got cut off, we decided that's not the, that's not how this story ends. We're still going to get a finish line together. And we did a hundred K in October together. Um, she finished it. She was amazing. We ran side by side the whole time and it was so special. And, um, she's already talking about what her next thing will be. So I think it's like, such a great example of um, this amazing sport and community and also how like if you just bring someone new out onto the trails it can open up their world so much and um, show them what's possible but also this whole you know network of land that they never had explored before because they didn't know that that was a thing that you did. I don't want to end it on kind of a bad note but um my brother does some ultra running and he came into a very close call this summer and luckily he's still here with us but it was close um part of that was because he didn't have a anybody pacing him at that time because he felt like he didn't want to put a pacer at risk with what he was doing at the in the middle of the night where he was at so i'm just wondering if you had any close calls and like where you were afraid that maybe you weren't coming out of it, whether it was during a race or just during a trail run, training or anything like that, and how you got through it. I'm sorry about your brother. He's, he's good now. He's all good. <laughs> I'm very glad to hear that. Um, I mean, fortunately, I don't know. Is this real wood? Does this count? <laughs> I haven't had too many situations like that where it made, where it made me feel uh, nervous for my well-being or my life. Um, but I do think that mountains don't care who you are. And uh, it's important then to do what you can if you're headed out into them to be prepared for, you know, whatever might happen. So telling people where I'm going, wearing a tracker if it's a big day out, and then having some of the just like basic gear along so that I could spend a night out if I needed to is like always front of mind if I'm gonna go do a big day by myself in the mountains. Um, and then for races, of course, like carrying the required gear that 
actually is the gear that would work in those situations, um, stuff like that. Great questions. I think as we wrap up this evening, um, a couple things that I find fascinating about some of the stuff that we've talked about tonight is that I am thinking about, you've talked a lot about sort of checking in with yourself, being a, sort of attuned, right? Also being in the present moment. You've said you don't spend that much time processing, thinking about past achievements or past failures. You're here. And um, I think about the fact that there are age-old philosophical and religious traditions that are all about helping people focus in on that present moment, live in the present moment. And I think it is really actually uh, fascinating and extraordinary that while you have said you're not staying up every night, you know, studying Sanskrit, learning these traditions, you're working out a sort of a real life philosophy on the trail and I think doing a pretty good job of that attunement and being present. Um, and I think that's a very interesting thing to see from a top athlete in the field. There are a number of different ways to get to certain goals, uh, certain priorities, certain values in life. And I think that is very interesting what you've done on that front. If I may, for any of us who have followed along your career and have certainly heard you talk tonight, this incredibly important notion for us to maybe check in with ourselves and start to think, um, where are the boundaries that maybe we have set too low? Where are the expectations too low? Maybe we ought to spend a bit more time rethinking what we are capable of. Um, that is incredibly valuable in its own right. And I think of other uh, incredible athletes who have sort of pushed boundaries. Uh, there are some that certainly have, but that you show us that, encourage us to do that, but at the same time have this, just radiate this joy. That's actually something that I find a bit, unique here. And I think it is so attractive uh, for any of us to identify those areas in life, whether it is running, whether it is mountain biking, whether it is a career pursuit to both, not just, you know, dig in. You've, you've told us to be kind to ourselves as well. So now we're in this interesting mix of be kind to yourself also recognize that you are probably capable more of it than you imagine and go out there and really just be joyful and don't worry about the results or put pressure on those places. There are some really, really compelling things going on in your own life and we see it work out sort of in real time. And for all those reasons, I'm very grateful to have you here with us tonight. So thank you, Courtney. Thank you. Thank all of you for coming.
Well, that's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. Thanks so much to Courtney for this terrific conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us here at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again real soon, as in tomorrow, over on our new Blister Cinematic Podcast, where you will get to hear me talk to Elise Sogstad about her new film, Here, Hold My Kid. So that's tomorrow, Tuesday, over on our Blister Cinematic Podcast feed, and we'll catch you over there. Bye, everybody.